Thank you, Kirk and Dana. Let's stand as we read from the Word of God this morning. A uh, passage will be read from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. It's page 701 in the Pew Bible. Our pastors have been leading us through a study this summer on the fruit of the Spirit. And so far, we've covered the Spirit fruit of love, joy, peace, and we'll be looking at patience this morning. Reading from James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the father waits for the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, for its uh, profound guidance and direction in our lives. And God, as we uh, listen today to your word, help our hearts to be open and receptive to hear from you and understand more clearly how we can be patient and how we can follow you in submission and trust. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Good to be back here at Glenwood. Uh, we had a great vacation. My family and I were uh, spending some time down in southern Missouri this last week, down at Table Rock Lake, and I uh, appreciate your thoughts, concerns. Many of you have already asked, how was your vacation? And uh, it was a great vacation. It was a good vacation, but it wasn't a perfect vacation. It required some patience along the way. So I already had to begin putting this in practice, this message. In fact, there I must confess there was a part of me that wished the sequence of our vacation and the Sunday that I was gone was this Sunday so I didn't have to preach this message. Somebody else could, like Pastor Chris or my dad. Then my dad confessed, I'm glad you're preaching that, Bruce, because I never, I avoided that subject when I was pastor. <laughs> I texted Bill last night asking him if he'd be willing to do the scripture reading. Told him it's the spirit fruit of patience. He said, that's funny. I'm the most impatient dude in the whole world, and here I am reading passage on patience. I said, God has a sense of humor. Nonetheless, that's what we're dealing with as we continue in this series on spirit fruit, becoming the person God wants you to be. And so we're going to look at the spirit fruit of patience. You know, I came across some definitions of what would be considered a perfect world, Here's just a few of them. Number one, chocolate would have no calories in a perfect world. Right, Jerry? Jerry's in our iLife group, iLife, our grow group. That's what we used to call them. They're now called grow groups. And, uh, and so Jerry loves chocolate, especially chocolate chip cookies. And I know he wishes no calories in them. How about procrastination would be honored as a virtue? What a great perfect world. Or number three, teenagers would rather clean their rooms than text on the phone. Whoa, right? Wouldn't that be a perfect world? Amen, yeah. Or number four, politicians would pay us taxes. That would be a perfect world. Or number five, this is my favorite one, kids on vacation would say, isn't riding in the car fun, Dad? I didn't hear that on our vacation. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world, so we desperately need the spirit fruit of patience. There are many things in life that test our patience. All of us are familiar with those things, such as summertime construction on highways. If you have to travel downtown through the loop, you know that. Or supermarket lines, or waiting at the doctor's office. I don't know about you, but Walmart tests my patience. Just entering into the building does. Or irritating people, just to name a few. James Russell Lowe once said, patience is something you admire in the driver behind you, but not in the one ahead of you. 
How true. Reminds me of the guy whose car stalled right in the middle of the highway. And no matter what he did, he could not get his car started. Traffic was backing up behind him, and most everyone was kind of taking it pretty good-naturedly, except one guy in a pickup truck who was just laying on his horn. I mean, he would not stop. The driver of the stalled car, he had had enough, so he got out and walked back to the driver of the pickup and said, I'm sorry, but I can't get my car started. If you'll go up there and give it a try, I'll stay here in your truck and blow your horn for you. I kind of thought, what a, that's pretty good. Pretty good. So what is patience? What is this spirit fruit of patience that we're talking about here today? Well, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to fill in your blanks there. Patience, here's a simple definition. Patience is the Christ-like response to all that is maddening in life. It's the Christ-like response to all that is maddening in life. Whether that is maddening in life is caused by people or problems, it doesn't matter. It's just the Christ-like response to all that is maddening in life. In fact, the Greek word for patience is really made up of two words. The first word means slow or long, and the second word means anger or wrath. And so patience means long-suffering. It's the idea, it means slow to get angry. Patience, you could define it this way, it's self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not quickly retaliate. It does not quickly seek revenge. In other words, patience means you have a slow fuse. You don't boil over quickly. You hold your anger in check. I'm sure we all know people who have Short tempers, you don't have to name their name, we can all think of them right now, which means they lose their patience quickly, normally becoming angry and responding harshly. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of that person. Phil Riken defined patience this way. He says, it's the ability to put up with the frustrations we face Anytime we have a relationship with someone who is just as flawed and every bit as fallen as we are. What a great definition. And since we're not born with a lot of patience, anybody here born with a lot? None of us are. None of us are born with a lot of patience. That means we all need more patience in our lives. I've never met a parent who didn't need great quantities of patience in raising their children. Right, moms, dads? Husbands and wives need lots of patience just to live with one another under the same roof. Just to have a a happy marriage, a joyful marriage. Family members need more of this precious commodity when dealing with extended family members. We need more patience at work with coworkers who make it harder for us to do our jobs. We need more patience in the marketplace when dealing with people who we consider are lazy or incompetent. We need more patience on the weekends with our friends or family members when their interests don't align with my expectations, with my plans. We just need more patience all the way around in our lives. And so if you need the spirit fruit of patience, then this section of James chapter 5 is just for you. It's just for me. In this section, it's interesting, James uses the words... I don't know if you caught it when Bill read it for us. He uses the word patience, endurance, and perseverance no less than six times. In fact, he uses the word patience four times. And then James uses three different illustrations in this passage to teach us when to be patient, why we should be patient, and how we should be patient. In fact, those are going to form the basis of what we're going to talk about this morning in answering three questions. And the first question is this, when should I be patient? When should I be patient? The people to whom James was writing, when he wrote this letter of James to the churches here, they were experiencing tremendous difficulty and trials. And so James is going to remind these Christ followers in his day 
just as he reminds us in our day that no matter what evil has done to them, they are not to retaliate against people or against God. Instead, they are to be patient, as he says, or long-suffering. In some ways, James, here he is in chapter 5, he's returning to a theme he began the whole letter with back in James chapter 1. In fact, in James 1, verse 2, he tells us to count it all joy, another fruit of the Spirit we looked at a couple of weeks ago, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so now he returns to this theme, if you will. He's telling us in chapter 5 to be patient when you face these various trials, whether they're caused by people in your life or whether they're caused by problems in your life. It doesn't matter. He says, be patient. In fact, James says there are three special times when we all need that extra dose of patience that only the Holy Spirit can give in our lives. Notice this, first of all, we are to be patient when circumstances are uncontrollable. We're to be patient when our circumstances are uncontrollable. Have you figured out that most of life is beyond your control? You ever met anybody that hasn't figured that out yet? Listen, you can't keep your thumb on everything. If you try, you're only going to be frustrated. Church history informs us that more than likely James, the author of this book of James, was, was probably a farmer. And this explains why he uses a farmer or farming as an example of patience when circumstances are uncontrollable in our lives. James understands the life of a farmer. And so he tells us in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. So don't go into farming unless you've got patience. Why? Because a farmer's life is governed by a rhythm of working and then waiting. Working and then waiting. Working and waiting is the life of a farmer. Now, I don't know that by experience. I just know that by what I read, what other farmers tell me. But that's the life of a farmer. Part of the job description of a farmer is you do a lot of waiting. You're waiting to till the ground. You're waiting to plant the seed. You're waiting to reap the harvest. And so there are a lot of factors in waiting. Yet more than the factors of waiting on things to do are the factors that the farmer has no control over, such as the weather, rain, the heat, even the economy, you name it. He has no control over those things. So you have to have a lot of faith to be a farmer. But if you don't have a lot of faith, don't be a farmer because it takes a lot of patience. You deal with a lot of factors in life that are un controllable. Have you ever noticed that even when we realize the situation is beyond our control, we still try to control it, though? Man, that is our natural human tendency. Even though it's beyond our control, we still have this urge, this desire to try to control it. And we do this primarily in two different ways. First, by we try to manipulate the situation or even manipulate that person And when that doesn't work, we then proceed to the second way by worrying about the situation, which doesn't work either. So how do we exercise patience when our circumstances are totally beyond our control? The key is to trust the Lord. It's to trust our Lord. That's the whole point of the farmer illustration here. As the farmer waits... What does he have to do? He ultimately has to trust on God to bring the rains, to bring the right weather patterns, and to bring the harvest. And in the same way, we as Christ followers, when we're facing circumstances that are beyond our control, we must learn to trust the Lord as we wait patiently. I'll never forget, I've shared this illustration before, but when I was younger, after I'd graduated from Bible college, 
my dream, my desire, God's calling on my life was to go into vocational ministry, and my dream at that time was to be a youth pastor. I was working here in our church as a, just a lay guy, um, working at UPS, part-time, and, uh, and to be quite honest with you, I hated every hour that I worked at UPS. Great job, but I hated every minute of it. One, because that wasn't my passion. It wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And it seemed like God hadn't opened any doors yet. The circumstances were beyond my control. And all I could do was wait. You wait patiently. Wait. Wait patiently. And lo and behold, God in his timing began to open up the doors where I could come on staff here at our church, and of course the rest is history. But oh, did I learn to wait patiently when the circumstances were out of my control, beyond my control. The second way, to, second time when we should be patient is when people are unchangeable. When people are unchangeable. And let me tell you, we desperately need patience when the people we love the most won't change. Arthur Timothy George writes, patience is the ability to put up with other people even when it is not easy to do. That might be every day for some of you here this morning. And so James gives us an example here of the prophets in verse 10. Look what he writes. He says, my brethren, take the prophets. In other words, what he's saying is he's holding up the prophets as examples and he's saying, hey, look, take notice here of these dudes in the Old Testament. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, that begs the question, well, what did the prophets do? What, were the role, what was the role of the prophets in the Old Testament? Well, primarily their role was they spoke God's message. They were spokesmen for God's message in order to help people change and to bring people back to a right relationship with God himself. And primarily, it was focused on God's people, the children of Israel at that time. But more often than not, when the prophets had to rebuke God's people for sin, the prophet and his message from God were just outright rejected due to the people's unwillingness to change. So James' point here is that the prophets suffered not because they were doing anything wrong, in fact, they're very opposite. They suffered because they were doing right. They were God's spokesmen. They were following God as the prophets. They spoke in the name of the Lord, and they were rejected and even persecuted because of it. And yet, get this, the prophets didn't quit. They persevered and were patient when the people were unchangeable. Now, have you noticed that People often resist change. We all do, right? I don't know anybody that really likes a lot of change in their life. And yet, we have to adapt to change. We have to be changeable. We resist change naturally. Do you have anybody in your life right now who refuses to change? Maybe refuses to change their attitude, their behavior, their actions their course of life, their pattern of life, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a teen, uh, an older child that's not living the way you want them to or they're not living after God. Maybe it's a parent, an, a parent that you have that's being obstinate, an in-law or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you have a neighbor who's just, you're like, man, God, why did you bring that neighbor to me in that house? Why did they have to move in? It can be very difficult to live with people and work with people who resist change. And that's why we desperately need the spirit fruit of patience. Jerry Bridges, who is an author, speaker, he writes in his book, The Practice of Godliness, he explains how patience works when people are unchangeable. Listen to what he says. This aspect of patience is the ability to suffer a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. 
The occasions for exercising this quality are numerous. They vary from malicious wrongs all the way to seemingly innocent practical jokes. They include ridicule, scorn, insults, and undeserved rebukes, as well as outright persecution. The Christian who is the victim of office politics or organizational power plays must react with long-suffering. The husband or wife who is rejected or mistreated by a spouse needs this kind of patience, he writes. So then, how do we exercise this kind of patience when people in our lives that we deal with are unchangeable? Well, the key here is to rely on God. Is to rely on God. You say, well, why is that? Well, because as much as we want to, we can't change people, can we? Oh, we've tried. Let me ask, how's that going for you? How'd that work for you? Trying to change that person you're married to or that child you've, God's given you or that coworker, or the person you're living with. How's it working for you to try to change that person and force change in their life? Sooner or later, we figure out, hey, I, you know what? I can't change that person. Listen, only God can change a person's heart. So we must rely on God to change that person we live with or work with and then be patient with that person in the meantime. Number three, be patient when problems are unexplainable. So when should we be patient? When circumstances are uncontrollable, when people are unchangeable, and now when problems are unexplainable. And, of course, the classic example James gives us is Job in the Old Testament. Look what he writes in verse 11. He says, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, if you don't know about Job, let me give you a synopsis here story of Job. Job basically played in the Super Bowl of suffering. He was the wealthiest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. He had everything going for him. When in a two-day period, everything fell apart. Job went bankrupt. His children were murdered. He got an incurable disease that was very painful. You think you've got problems or had a rough week? Listen, Job lost his family. He lost his friends. He lost his finances. He suffered materially, physically, and socially. And to make matters worse, one day his wife comes to him and basically says, Job, just curse God and die. Think about it. God allowed Satan to take away everything in his life except an unsupported wife. Isn't that a source of irony on God's part? But folks, that's not even the worst part. The worst part of Job's suffering was that he had absolutely no idea why it was happening. For 37 chapters in the book of Job, God doesn't even talk to him and tell him, Job, listen, here's why I'm allowing this to happen to you. From Job's perspective, there was no apparent reason for his misfortune. After all, we are told in the very first chapter, in the very first verse of Job, that this was a godly man, a righteous man, a man who shunned evil, who lived for the Lord. And so of all people, Job had the, quote, right to ask God, why me? But God never told him why. Have you figured out that life is not always fair? It takes some of us a long time to figure that out. Because that's kind of our expectations as we grow up in life. And let me tell you, it is all of our expectations at times. My boys think life ought to be fair. It's amazing. You give one something, one, I give something to Tyler, Jack thinks he deserves the same thing. I give Jack something, Tyler, well, that's not fair, worth mine. But we're no different as adults. God, why is this happening? Life isn't fair. Blah, 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 blah. But God never said it would be fair. So a lot of things in life just don't make sense from our human perspective. And maybe we'll never understand 
why God allowed this or that to happen on this side of heaven. Job certainly didn't understand. In fact, there were times when Job complained about the injustice of his suffering and even questioned God in the process. And yet, get this, in all of those unexplained problems that he was facing, Job never denied God or abandoned his faith. Instead, he persevered, which is an aspect of long-suffering or patience. And perhaps you're here and you're not about, you're asking yourself, whoa, I don't know if I could be Job. I mean, how in the world did he do that? How is this possible? How is it possible to persevere and be patient when problems in my life are unexplainable? The key is to focus on God and not your problems. Because through it all, God is always bigger than your problems. When it was all over, God remembered Job. That's one of the best parts in the whole book of Job. You come to the end, and there's a saying in it, God remembered Job. In other words, God never forgot Job. Never forgot he was his man, his child. Never forgot what was going on in his life. Even when God was silent in his life for 37 chapters, God remembered Job. He was not a perfect man, but his patience was such that today, when we see someone persevering through difficulty, we often say that person has the patience of Job. What a wonderful testimony of Job. Now, before we move on, I want us to answer another question that some may be asking or thinking even now, and that is, oh man, Bruce, I I see what you're saying I understand when I should be patient, when circumstances are uncontrollable. I know I need to be patient when people in my life are unchangeable. I understand I need to be patient when problems are unexplainable. But here's the real question. How long do I need to be patient in those times? How long should I be patient? And James tells us how long to be patient. Look what he says in James chapter 5, verse 7. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's how long we are to be patient. In other words, according to James, listen to me, as Christ followers here this morning, we should exercise the spirit fruit of patience until the Lord returns. This basically means until Jesus returns, we need to be patient when our circumstances are uncontrollable. We need to be patient until be patient when people are unchangeable and when problems are unexplainable. How long? Until Jesus returns. Why? Well, this leads us to our second question. Why should I be patient? Tell me why, Bruce. Why should I exercise this spirit fruit of patience in my life that only the spirit can produce? Well, no one is more patient with us than God. In fact, it's hard to imagine the depth of God's patience in a world where people are overwhelmingly impatient with others and their circumstances. But James gives us three reasons why we should be patient. And here's what's interesting about all three reasons why we should be patient. They're all rooted in the character of God, in who He is. And the first is we should be patient because God is in control. Because God is in control. Three times in this passage, James says, the Lord is coming back, that His coming is near, and that He's standing at the door. Folks, listen to me. That's the ultimate proof that God is in control. Nothing can stop the return of God's Son. Satan can't stop it. The world can't stop it. We can't stop it. Nothing will stop Jesus from coming back. Do you realize the Bible talks more about Jesus' second coming when he comes back to judge the world than it does about his first coming when he came to die for the world? Make no mistake about it. God is control of history. In fact, you could think of history as his story. History is God's story. We're part of it. He's got it all planned out. 
Everything is on schedule. Nothing is late. It's all moving history toward a climax. God is in control, which means God's purpose for your life is greater than any problem you're facing right now. And although a situation may be out of your control, maybe out of my control, listen, no circumstance or problem in your life or person in your life is out of God's control. And although I cannot control every maddening thing in my life, or even every maddening person in my life, listen to me, God can. Which means I can trust Him. It means I can be patient in the process and in the meantime. Second, here's another reason why we should be patient. We should be patient because God rewards patience. How many of you like rewards? Oh, come on, raise your hand. We all do. Even adults like rewards. That's why you sign up for those credit cards that have cash back programs, right? Because you want kind of a reward. You know, McDonald's, they have Play Monopoly games or this game. And what do you do? You make sure you buy that product so you can peel off that sticker and find out what your reward is. We all like rewards. Well, get this. God rewards patience. Look what James writes about the prophets in Job in verse 11. He says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Yes, Job lost everything. But the second half of his life was more blessed than the first half. In fact, God doubled everything he had. It pays to be patient in this life. God rewards it. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5.4 that patience produces character. And not just any character, it's the character of Christ. And James tells us in James, going back to James 1, verses 3 and 4, he says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But here's the best part. Listen to me here. It's not just in this life right now that God rewards patience. Do you realize that God will reward you in eternity as well? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Me, Jesus writes. He says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your what in heaven? Your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. When people insult you, when people criticize you, be patient, because God will reward you in heaven. But let's be honest here. Our natural tendency is what? Our natural tendency when we get hurt in life by someone is to not be patient but to get even, right? We've been there, done that. We all know that. We, you want to retaliate. You want to get revenge. You want to take matters into your own hands. So if you get criticized, you want to criticize back. If you get insulted, you want to insult back. Man, this is the hardest lesson I'm trying to teach my boys. Just because one calls you a name doesn't mean you have to respond likewise. And as adults, we're no different. Revenge and retaliation may be the natural thing, but it's the opposite of the spirit fruit of patience. So the next time someone hurts you, Think about this before you strike back. Is it worth giving up God's reward in heaven? Because you're going to enjoy his reward a whole lot longer than the temporary pleasure of revenge. Third, we should be patient because God is working things out. God is working things out. We need to remember that while I'm waiting, God is working. Your hands may be tied, the situation may be uncontrollable from your viewpoint, but it is not uncontrollable from God's viewpoint. 
He's working things out, and it often happens behind the scenes. This is what God was doing in Job's life. Again, in verse 11, it says, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Listen, Job didn't have a clue what was happening or why it was happening. And yet God, all the while, for 37 chapters behind the scenes, is doing what? He is working things out. He's working his will out, his plan out for Job's life. God is in control of it all. So we should be patient because God is working his purposes for our lives. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 2.13 where he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in every circumstance, in every person, and in every problem, what is God doing? Is he just sitting back? Is he twiddling his thumbs? Has he turned a blind eye? No. God is working. So be patient with him. You say, how? Go back. You trust him. You rely on him. And you focus on him. That is the key. Trust him. Rely on him. Focus on him. Now, perhaps you're asking yourself, well, boy, Bruce, you know, I, I hear you. I hear what James is saying in this. But what do I do while I'm waiting on God? Because about half of us here, we can't sit for three minutes without doing this. You're like my son Jack. He can't sit at the dinner table without doing... We just, we got to be doing. Anybody like to just relax, stay, sit still? Some of you do, probably half of you do. And the other half, you're doing people. You know, you're the doer types. You got to be active. And you're asking yourself, what do I do? Well, this leads us to our last question. Number three, how should I be patient? How? What should... In other words, James tells us how we should be patient or, or what to do while we're waiting on God. And the first is wait expectantly. Wait expectantly. How does a farmer wait? Let me tell you, I'm not a farmer, but I know this. He waits expectantly in faith for the rains and the harvest to come. And what does a farmer do while he's waiting? Does he just sit and watch reruns on TV all day? No way. While he's waiting, he's preparing. He's getting ready. So waiting is a time of preparation, which shows our expectation. We demonstrate our expectation by our preparation. Now, let me just give you a real simple example of this. My son Tyler. Where's Tyler? There he is. This first summer, he planted a garden all by himself. All by himself. And let me tell you, when he planted that garden... You ask him, Todd, did you have some expectations after you planted the garden? And your expectations were what? Lots of vegetables, all right? So while he's planted this garden, and let me tell you, he did this way back in May. It's now almost August. So for about, what is that, a good six, eight weeks, eight weeks here, you're waiting. And you're waiting expectantly for something to happen. First, you're waiting on God to bring the rains. And when God doesn't, you get the hose out and take care of business, right? So you're preparing. You clean up the weeds a little bit. He planted it and put a net over it because I don't know about your house. We have varmints that will eat every little bloom and every little cherry tomato that comes off of it. So you've got to protect your garden. You've got to prepare for it. You prepare for what you're expecting. And you're waiting patiently. You're waiting expectantly. And as Christ followers, listen, what are we waiting for? Listen, we ultimately, we are waiting for the coming of our Lord, right? We're waiting for him to return. Because who wants to live on this earth for, the, for a gazillion years, right? No way. The question is, what are you doing while you're waiting for Jesus to return? 
Remember, waiting is also a time of preparation. And a lot of times when I'm waiting on God, here's what I have found, he's really waiting on me. And here's what I mean by that. He's waiting on me to grow up and get some spiritual depth in my life. He's waiting on me to mature in this area of my life. He's waiting on me to deal with some issues in my life. He's waiting on me to follow him and to obey him. He's waiting on me to take that step that I know I should take in my Christian life. So often God wants to bless us, but we can't handle his blessings until we grow up spiritually. So guess what God uses to grow us? Take a guess what he uses. What do you think God's going to use to help you grow in life? Yeah, you got it. Irritating people and uncontrollable problems. People and problems. Go figure. And in the process, God tells us, be patient in that. Why? To give yourself some time to grow spiritually in your Christian life. So wait expectantly, and while you're waiting, get yourself ready. Number two, wait quietly. Wait quietly. This seems somewhat out of place until we realize our normal response to problems and people. I don't know about you, but what's your normal response when you're under pressure from problems or you're irritated with people? If you're like me, we tend to complain to anyone who will listen. We often tend to lash out at anyone who's in the way. We basically run off at the mouth. So no wonder James now, in verse 9, warns us. Look at this verse. Look at what he says. Look in your Bibles here. He says, do not grumble. And then he adds this little phrase, against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, question. Why does James talk about grumbling in the middle of patience? After all, we're, we're, we're looking at verses 7 through 11 here. And it seems like right in the middle of this whole discussion on patience, James intersects this idea of grumbling. Why is that? Because it's hard to be quiet. When life is maddening. Right? We want everybody around us to know about it. So we grumble and mumble. We groan and we moan. When you get up in the morning, do you rise and whine? Do you hit the ground griping? Listen, one of the problems that most of us deal with is that we give ourselves license to practice impatience. And we carry it in our wallet just like we carry a driver's license. And so when we're impatient with people or problems, we just kind of pull out our wallet and we show our impatient car. Look, I got a license here. A license to be impatient. Just like when the police officer pulls you over, asks, can I see your license? You show him your license. It's a license to drive, but not fast. And we all write our own license for impatience. Listen, it's not easy to wait quietly. It's far easier to complain and grumble and lash out at people. But whatever the person, whatever the problem, God here, through James, is telling us to be patient and wait quietly. That is the standard that God is calling us to. Now, don't miss what James writes in the last part of verse 9. Don't miss it. Don't overlook it. He says, behold... Who is standing at the door? Who? And who's the judge? The Lord. It's Jesus when he returns. Now why does James add this little phrase here? Because James, get this, he doesn't want you to be found grumbling against one another when Jesus returns. You don't want to be caught in the middle of lashing out at one of his sons or his daughters. So what we have here now is a double motivation for exercising the spirit fruit of patience. 
on the positive side, listen, we want to practice patience because one day there will be what for us in heaven when we practice patience? A reward. And who doesn't want a reward, especially when it comes from God, who, let me tell you, it has more than everything. Who wants a reward from the person who has nothing? They can't give you a whole lot, right? But God owns everything. So his rewards, let me tell you, we want those rewards. So on the positive side, the first motivation for practicing or exercising patience is that we're going to have a reward in heaven. But on the negative side, listen, don't miss this, we want to practice patience because one day we will be judged for every word we utter. Whoa. Whoa. Every time I lash out in impatience, God's taking notice of it. Now, as the judge, here's the cool thing. Because he also died on the cross for our sins, we can go to him now. And we can confess that sin of impatience, that sin of grumbling, and ask for forgiveness. And what does God promise to do every time? Forgive me and cleanse me. And when he does, he doesn't hold that sin against me anymore. I will not be judged for it. That is so cool. What an awesome God. But there's a third thing, he says, and that is to wait steadfastly. Wait steadfastly. The patience we are to exhibit in light of Christ's return is not to be passive, but active. And so James exhorts us in verse 8, you also be patient. And then he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That phrase, establish your hearts, simply means to make firm your hearts or strengthen your hearts. The idea is to develop an attitude of courage or steadfastness especially when facing uncontrollable circumstances, unchangeable people, and unexplainable problems. So what will help us to strengthen our hearts and to wait steadfastly? Listen, listen to me. When, when you're facing uncontrollable circumstances, and some of you are right now, some of you God has placed and allowed something in your life that is totally out of your control. Or you got a person in your life who's unchangeable. Or maybe you have a problem that is just totally unexplainable. So what now? It, it's going to allow you, to motivate you, to, to help you, to strengthen your heart and wait steadfastly. James tells us, and it, the key is this, it's knowing what James tells us about our God at the end of verse 11. Look what he says. End of verse 11. The Lord is what? Very compassionate and merciful. Folks, you've got to know that about God. You've got to know that about our Lord in the midst of these times. Yes, you may be facing uncontrollable circumstances. You may be in the midst of, of dealing with an unchangeable person or even dealing with an unexplainable problem. But remember, our God is full of compassion and mercy. God knows what you're going through, and he's right there with you. Our God has all the compassion and mercy and power and wisdom and grace. Basically, God has everything we need to persevere and wait steadfastly. So as we come to the end here, let me ask you, where do you need to exercise patience? Where in your life? Do you have an uncontrollable circumstance in your life right now? Maybe you've got an unchangeable person that you're dealing with. Or perhaps you're facing an unexplainable problem. Whatever it is, listen, you need the kind of patience that only the Spirit can produce in your life. As the 19th century preacher A.B. Simpson observed, in heaven you won't have anything or anyone to try you. Praise God, right? But he goes on and he writes, so you won't need patience there. It is a fruit of the Spirit for here and now. 
What a God we have who produces this in our lives. Let's pray. This morning, as we come to our response time, listen, I know this is something we all need, patience. So let me encourage you to use this time to ask God for the spirit fruit of patience. Ask God to help you to wait expectantly, to wait quietly, and to wait steadfastly as you face all that is maddening in your life. But let me just also talk to some of those who who are here this morning, you don't know Christ yet as your Lord and your Savior. Do you realize three times in this passage it says the Lord is coming back? Someday Jesus is going to return. He's going to come. And you say, well, why hasn't he come already? Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that God is waiting to come back in order to give you a chance to repent of your sins and receive his forgiveness through faith in his son, Jesus. In other words, God is being long-suffering in his return because he wants you to know him as your Savior and Lord. And when you do know Christ, that's when the Spirit can produce the fruit of patience in your life. Listen, if you don't know him yet, you need to come now. You need to run to him and confess your sin. And tell God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I can't save myself. But I want what you have to offer through your son, Jesus Christ. I want my sins forgiven, and I want the gift of eternal life that comes when I put my faith in you, Lord. Man, if that's you, use this response time to pray and come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. For all of us, then, use this time to ask the Spirit's help to produce his patience in your life. Lord, we pray these things. We thank you for the passage of James. We thank you for the spirit that is, dwells within every believer who produces this fruit when we cooperate with you. Help us to be a more patient people as Christ followers. We pray this, these things in your name. Amen. Zach's going to sing just a chorus here. Let me invite you to do business with God as he sings. Mm-hmm.